electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market side in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Bonds in turmoil. The 30-year yield roaring higher within a whisper of 5%. The two and 10-year rates surging higher, too. Could China and the Fed be to blame for what is happening with the bond market? Plus, sticker shock. Reports that Netflix is planning to hike prices once the Hollywood strikes are over. Could this set off a wave of price spikes across the streaming universe? And later, the breakdown on the safety trade. Weighty losses of late. Lily and a rocket headed in the wrong direction. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Mike Coe. We start off with breaking news out of D.C. and the vote to remove Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. Emily Wilkins is in D.C. with the very latest. Emily. Well, yes, in a historic vote today, Kevin McCarthy was ousted as Speaker of the House. The House currently has no Speaker. That chair is vacant. There is an acting Speaker, but they're not someone who can actually move legislation, continue the work of the House, and continue the progress that Congress is trying to make on a number of different bills. Now, mind you, a lot of Republicans still support McCarthy. Uh, One of the congressmen came out and told us that he thought at least 190 of Republicans still back McCarthy for Speaker. But the fact of the matter is, is that Republicans had such a small uh, majority that uh, only eight Republicans voting to oust McCarthy were able to do it. I just spoke with Congressman Matt Gates. He just left Congress, and he said that we, as far as who's next, he didn't really have a name. He mentioned Steve Scalise last night. I asked him about that. He said that Tom Emmer, McCarthy's number three, could potentially be good. So a lot of questions as to who, if anyone, Republicans are going to be solidifying behind, and a huge question to see how long this actually lasts because until a new speaker is named, the House really cannot do its most important work of passing bills and actually legislating. So a lot of questions uh, here on Capitol Hill, lots of concerns and, and lots of just unknowns about what the next day, what the next week, what the next month will actually look like. Congress rarely moves very quickly on anything, Emily. So what, what do you think the timeline will be for this process? Well, I know that a lot of members do want to get things moving and back on track as quickly as possible. I think the events of the last 48 hours came as a shock to many of them. I mean, Matt Gates had talked about going ahead and bringing forward with this motion to vacate, but I think there were real questions until last night whether he would actually do it. So I think at this point, Republicans are going to try and get together. They're going to try and chat. I wouldn't be surprised if you did see some votes on speaker before the end of the week. But at this point, it's hard to see how McCarthy gets back to that 218 that he's going to need to become speaker. Emily Wilkins in D.C., thank you. Uh, Interesting kicker to the events of today, a potential breaking point for the markets here. Major indices dropping sharply today as rates continue their march higher. The Dow seeing its worst day since March and falling back into negative territory for the year. The S&P dropping 59 points, ending the day just half a percent above its 200-day moving average, a level it has not crossed in six months. The Nasdaq saw even bigger (laughs) losses, down nearly 2 percent. The sell-off coming as Treasury yields hit another milestone, 10-year rates touching 4.8 percent. 
the highest level in more than 16 years. The 30 are getting within five basis points of 5%. So will this bond turmoil continue to rock the markets into year end, particularly with some of the uncertainty surrounding what's going on in Washington and the uncertainty about yet another shutdown looming, Tim? It was an extraordinary day by any measure. So the events in Washington, we haven't seen this done before, but Bank of Japan was in intervening against the yen this morning. The move in the Treasury markets is something that also I think people um, are, are somewhat shocked by. And if you think about it, we've talked about this. We've talked about the supply side. We've talked about some of the dynamics where the Fed is actually uh, both issuing a record number of bonds, but also when they're stopped buying, but also when central banks around the world have stopped buying. You also have data that's coming out, right? And the data is, on some level, I think today's job openings data, which was much stronger than expected, a big increase over July, uh, and this is the August data, ahead of a payroll number on Friday, I, I think is much to do about nothing. I, I don't, there's no way the job market is tightening at this point. There's no way that this information, I, I realize this is more concurrent and more coincident data than, say, looking at a payroll number, which is very much lagging. But I, I, I just think that the market is spooked that the economy is so strong, again, so strong, that the Fed doesn't relent here. I think the biggest issue here is, and you almost have to pat the Fed on the back, it's as if the market is saying the Fed won't blink um, and that the Fed is actually going to hold the line. And this is the same Fed that people were so critical of not holding the line on. So. That was the message the Fed really needed to get across, yeah. right, starting with Jackson Hole. And that was the, the, the last time. Right. The last yes, time. Yes. The additional vector of not just how high, but for how long. Right. And finally, it seems like the market has just snapped into, yes, they are going to be high for a long time. Yes, and that 50 basis points off the table of next year's that they thought would be cut right. are gone. So that was a, that was a stri- very strong statement. So I don't know right now if we're in the, we need some bad news about the economy to help this market, or if that would just be seen as bad news. Um, so we have next week, I think we're going to get threes, tens and, and 30 year auctions. We'll see how those go. Um, I don't know if it was the jolts. I don't know if the market was uh, sort of on pins and needles today because of the threat of the House speaker turmoil, because that did happen last night. I'm a little bit surprised it actually happened, to be honest. It doesn't seem like there's a great plan in place. But um, we'll see. I don't know. It was a volatile market for sure. For if you're like me and you get, you know, long equities, it's a difficult day. Only thing that works is hedges. But I'm always, always net long. So net, net losing money for sure. But I don't know. I'm, I'm sticking it out. I do think that we, I want to see earnings. I like when we can look at the economy and earnings and how companies do. That's sort of the kind of tangible data that I like to look at. And that's probably not a bad setup. You, you consider the weakness that we have, and we're going to go right into bank earnings at the end of next week, and they're going to be very depressed if you think about it. You know, Bank America, Citigroup making what new multi-year lows here today. They're below the levels they, they were at their lows during March during the regional banking crisis. So obviously not the beneficiary of those big regionals that went under, and and some of the stuff that we've heard from, let's say, J.P. Morgan. Um, benefiting from the deposits they've gotten. But if the stock market is a discounting mechanism, right, and we've had this recession that, again, was a near certainty when the stock market was at its lows last October, has been pushed out here. If I'm just looking at my screens right now, okay, I see the XRT, which is retail, is down in the year. I see banks that are down in the year. I see industrials that are basically flat. I see materials that are down in the year. I see, I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, healthcare is down in the year. Yeah. So equal you, weighted S&P is down on yeah. the year. Equal weights down in the year. The Russell 2000 small caps are down in the year. So all 
all I'm kind of trying to say here, and I've been saying this for a little bit now, it's not that healthy of a stock market, in, in, in my opinion. Now, it was okay when we still had that concentration, right, when we were at the highs, and, and now we're almost down 10% in the S&P market cap weighted, because there was all this talk about broadening out. It really wasn't broadening out. Under the hood, we did see some weakening. So I guess my point is, is like the lower we go here, as we get towards some technical levels, I know the S&P is very near that 200-day moving average, that uptrend that's been in place since last October. I mean, these are the things that you want to keep an eye on, because if some of the bigger names in the market that are really like have to do with most of the gains in the broad indices, if they join the party, and, and just so you know, I mean, the Microsoft and the Apple, we've been talking about this, they already have broken down. I mean, technically, they are broken, but they're still up a lot because they were up so much to start off the year. Apple so traded I just well think, again. Yeah, no, it did. I mean, you're, listen, you're right. But you're no, right, by the way. But, the, but, I mean, but I think but the, where else are you going to go right now? I mean, other than other than, you know, T-bills, you know, you know what I mean? Like you're going to Apple, you're going to Microsoft right now. So they're finding a little bit of support right now as money's moving out of these other sectors. Yeah. T- I mean, the hurdle is going to be very high for that investor to decide, Mike, to put that incremental dollar into stocks versus bonds at this point. And the hurdle gets higher and higher each day with rates going higher and higher at this point. Yeah, well, there are some stocks that might behave a little bit more like bonds do or will. You know, we own uh, Constellation, which is going to be reporting soon. We own Johnson & Johnson. You know, these are the kinds of stocks. They're, they're low beta, which I think is going to be helpful in a market like this. Look, if, if rising rates are bad for companies that don't generate cash flow now, that basically have high duration and high beta, then you sort of have to look for the opposite if you're going to be long stocks. Like Karen, we have to be long stocks, so those are the ones we're going to own. And we have picked up a few financials actually going into earnings simply because, you know, maybe there's a lot of bad news priced in. We swapped Goldman for Morgan uh, simply because I think this additional volatility is probably going to benefit on the trading side more than the asset management side as asset prices decline. That can't be good for Morgan Stanley. Um, but I think that's kind of the choices you're going to make. You're looking for the best house on a bad block. Right now, the, the stock market's a bad block. Well, the bond market's a bad block, too. So what's really interesting, everybody's talking about, hey, isn't it a great time to own bonds? It's not been a great time to own a lot of bonds. So anyone that extended duration in the last three weeks and was told by someone that this is the time, you've got reinvestment risk, you've got to get out there. Um, I think it's, it's fascinating. By the way, my, my uh, Haribo uh, bear index here, um, which is uh, uh, now at four gummies on the desk here, is, is, look, we're at a place here where I think sentiment really is, is awful. And you have a place here, too, uh, Dan's talking about the positioning of the S&P. If you remove the SVB chaos of March, this is, if we go through the, you know, we're 20, we're actually 10 bips away from the 200-day. If you traded through the downside on the 200-day tomorrow or sometime next week, it would be the first time through to the downside if you remove SVB going all the way back to January, February of 22. And this is back when the Fed was obviously stepping up. We were getting 75 basis point cuts on the horizon. It was, I'm just telling you that this is a place where if the stock market is breaking down through the 200, we haven't seen that in a year and a half. You could talk about SVB. I would make an argument that was isolated. It doesn't mean that there weren't tensions that are similar to the ones we're seeing today. But the market itself, the S&P is measured by the 200-day holding, not trading through. This is a year and a half. We haven't seen this. And again, that gets back to the beginning of this cycle where we didn't know how aggressive the Fed was going to be. And it's kind of what people feel like right now. Yeah, but in terms of, in terms of the bond volatility that we've seen, because it has been extraordinary, and TLT saw a record day on volume mm-hmm. yes. in terms of shares traded, which is extraordinary to think about. And, and take a look at our chart of the day, because think about the positioning here in the bond market in terms of the wall of issuance that we are expecting. Right. Who is going to be that buyer? It's definitely not the Fed. 
and it's not China. And this is a, this is a chart that has been going that had been making the rounds today. It's from Apollo's Torsten Slock, and he basically said three hundred billion dollars in bonds have been sold since 2021. $4 billion just since April of this year by China, and they don't have additional dollars to recycle back into the bond market. And maybe politically, if they did, maybe they wouldn't want to. <clears throat> well, a couple things to that. I, I have been short the TLT. I did cover another third. I only have a third left, um, which feels painful to do. But um, to that, who's going to buy them? Whoever's shorting maybe into this? Mm. We know We know when they say when they're going to issue debt. So, Mel, so that- are you saying they're uninvestable? Am I saying bonds are in an unreal? No, I'm saying the, the treasury. Turn, the yeah, because turn. I mean, like, listen, every time we get to that, who's the buyer? Like, what, you know what I mean? Like, we did that once. Didn't we do that once? Maybe in China? We did that on China. Like that. Yeah, we did that. That's the Chinese equity market versus the U.S. treasury market. I think you're right. You've had such about. a great trade on now for a couple right. months. It feels like you're getting piggish, right? Yes. And so, like, sooner or later, and, and you yeah. mentioned the volume on, on, on a very yeah. liquid ETF today. That was my final trade of Alaska. I'm kind of picking at calls in the space right here because I actually think vol is relatively cheap. When you have that vol, the way it's been moving, relative to the way the S&P has been moving and, and everybody's on one side of the trade, it could set up like a coil spring, in my opinion. So I think you're probably Very bearish out there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, the latest jitters over surging yields come a day after Rick Santelli right here on this set warned about how high he thinks rates could go from here. We have a lot of potential room to run to the upside. So if somebody asked me and held a gun to my head and said, listen, the worst case scenario, we're Treasury rate's going to go 10-year. I'd say in the next seven years, you should be able to see 13 and a half, 14 percent. 13 percent. And yes, I did say. Are you serious? <laughs> Our next guest also believes interest rates can go a lot higher. Jim Bianco runs Bianco Research. He joins us here on set. Welcome to New York, Jim. Thanks for having Good me. Good to have you with us. You, do you think we see 13 percent? You know, I don't know about 13 percent, but the larger issue that Rick was saying we're in a secular bear market. It started in August of 2020. There's several more years to go. Now, you can have a year or two rally within in the middle of a secular bear market in bonds. I'm in that camp. I still think that maybe seven years from today, we're at at least four and a half or five percent where we are right now. So there's no real drop in rates and there'll probably be higher rates from there. Thirteen percent. Uh, that would take uh, something bad to happen a lot worse than I anticipate. But I don't, ex- I don't think we're near the end of this move in the bond market. Okay, so in the immediate term, uh, mm-hmm. how high can we go at, before we settle into that 4.5% range or so, that, which sounds like you're, you're saying will be the new normal for the 10-year yield? Yeah, because I think 4.5% is kind of like fair value, and we're just a little bit above fair value right now. I, I think what you've seen in the bond market is a capitulation, a good old-fashioned, I'd like to say Old Testament, capitulation right now, where basically most of the year bond investors, bond managers have been long, been trying to argue why we're going to have a recession, why there's going to be a rally, and have been getting their brains beat in, and they can't take it anymore. And I think what really kicked this one off was September 20th, the Fed meeting. What would help a bond rally, if you want the bonds to rally, Fed come out hawkish. They're going to raise rates a lot more. They're going to be more vigilant about inflation. If they're done and the market senses that there's still some inflation left, they don't want to touch bonds. And that's what I think has been killing the bond market. So the more the Fed talks about being done, waiting, assessing all the rate hikes they've done, the more I think that they're making it worse. And you could possibly see an overshoot through five in the next couple of weeks. But then I think we can, might set up a, you know, a high that could last for a little bit of time and a counter trend rally. Do you think that the Fed is watching the volatility in the bond market? And do you think the Fed 
cares? I don't think they care yet because, yes, they're, of course, they're watching the volatility in the bond market, but they're asking the question, is it <clears throat> retarding the economy? Now, they're getting it from a lot of home builders. Jay Powell got it yesterday from some small business owners about inflation. So they're hearing it from that end, but not necessarily enough that they're probably considering changing policy. Jim, how about energy prices? I, I saw in your notes that you think this is playing into it. It's a bit ironic because we strip out food and energy from our inflation measures, or the Fed seems to. But th that does seem to be part of the calculus here. And I, I'm of the view we're in a super cycle. I'm of the view that there are structural reasons why energy prices stay higher. Therefore, I don't think you get relief anytime soon from that. Exactly. I am in that similar type of view that energy prices are going to go higher. Does that mean what that means is we'll have more year-over-year -year CPI inflation? Does that mean the Fed's going to raise rates because of higher energy prices? No. But let's go back to yesterday when Jay Powell heard it about inflation. If higher gasoline prices, higher energy prices, say, push inflation back to 4%, they can't talk about easing next year yeah. in the face of 4%. So what higher energy prices do is they kill the potential for rate cuts next year. Maybe they don't add rate hikes this year or later in the, you know, in the winter. So why is there talk about, from Bostick today about a cut at the end of 2024, do you think? I, I think go in the face of what the Fed wants to telegraph. Right. I think that that's a mistake on their part because they're, they're operating under this assumption that 2% inflation is still attainable and coming. And I think the market is really starting to question that. The market is maybe more towards 3 or 4% inflation. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but it gets back to what is fair value on interest rates. And we might not be that far above fair value. I think what they'd be better off arguing is don't just say, well, we're very close to 2%. Explain to us why you think we're going to go back to that pre-COVID or pre-pandemic level of 2% inflation. Because I think a lot of people in the market are really starting to question whether that's going to happen. So, Jim, if... If they do settle at a higher inflationary, and they don't have to settle it, it just has to exist for all the reasons that Tim just mentioned. Maybe it's energy prices in this moment. But sooner or later, the economy will weaken, right? And if we do have this stagflationary environment, if we're looking at an S&P 500 at 4,200, trading at about you know, 18 times, which is the 10-year average versus a period where interest rates were far lower throughout that sort of thing, don't you think equities are a little mispriced? Now, I know I'm leading the witness here a little bit, but it is not a place that we've been in a very long time. And, and so I just feel like the equity market has not really woken up to what a, a new reality might be. Well, it's waking up to it. I mean, the drawdown in the stock market now is the largest we've seen since we hit the bottom in October of last year. Uh, but I do think you're right. There is an alternative. The alternative, let's start with a five and a half percent money market rate. Uh, University of Chicago has done long-term studies, says long-term the stock market will give you 9%. Have up years, <clears throat> down years, 9%. I give you two-thirds of that with almost no risk. That is an option. So now we're going to have to see the stock market compete with it. And you mentioned it earlier in the show. Everything but the Magnificent Seven is essentially flat or down on the year. And everybody's looking at 5.5% money market rates, and they think that's been the best call all year. That's what the stock market is going to have to contend with. Does that mean the stock market collapses? No. But it just means that that marginal dollar that's sitting in cash, this is not 2019, when it was sitting in cash at zero, it's sitting in cash at five and a half, will just sit there. And it's going to be harder to drag that money out. And that's what we're seeing in the returns in the market, except for seven big mega cap stocks. Jim, great to have you with us. 
Thank Come you. by any time. Yeah, nice you. to have him in New York. Bianca. Thank nice you. Nice to yeah. see you. Um, so if the stock market needs to compete with T-bills and money markets, it's, there's got to be a drawdown. Annie Constance says mm-hmm. 3900 would mm-hmm. be that drawdown uh, in order to adjust for where rates are right now. Right. Well, I saw that. I mean, that's a big ways down, big right? Ways down. Six yeah, yeah. plus seven percent. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be if it mathematically worked out that that, you know, they had the exact drawdown. I don't want to go against Andy. He's really smart, particularly on the bond side. Um, so I, I, that would be a bigger drawdown than I'm expecting. I could take a little bit of pain like we're in a little bit of pain. I could take a little bit more pain and really feel OK. But that would be that would be very bad pain and time to buy. Mike. Yeah, I mean, if, let's just say that what Dan, the word that Dan just brought up uh, a few minutes ago actually came to pass. If we really got into a stagflationary environment, uh, then I think that's actually conservative in terms of the potential downside. I mean, th- that's a really toxic situation for risk assets. It's a toxic situation for fiscal budgets as well. You need economic growth and you need reasonable rates uh, for basically governments to borrow. And that would be a disaster. So I, I think we could be sharply lower. So that's the, really the reason why inflation has to be crushed here, however painful it is. Uh, and I think that as long as the Fed sort of stays the course, then we probably are going to sort of stabilize down around 4,000, probably higher. I mean, I hope so, because we're long. But if they don't, um, then I think we could go sharply lower. And take a look at what happened in the 1970s. That was a 48% peak to trough drawdown. Coming up, a binging blow to your wallet, how the writer strike could impact the streaming landscape and what you should expect for your next Netflix bill. More on that next. Plus, SoFi so low. How options traders are positioning themselves in the fintech name and a slide. That story when Fast Money returns. Back in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Our price hikes ahead for Netflix. The Wall Street Journal reporting the streaming platform plans to raise prices within months after the actor's strike ends. No details yet on how much prices will go up. Shares popping in early morning trade, but ending the day lower has not been confirmed by any other outlet or by Netflix. Uh, Karen, what do you make of this? Yeah, so when it did pop, I think people, uh, I was thinking briefly that it was Netflix that was saying Netflix was going to raise prices, mm-hmm. which is different than someone else saying that Netflix is going to raise prices. But um, I am long. I think it's a good thing. You know, obviously, when you raise prices and your costs don't really move, that's a great thing for the bottom line. So uh, the stock is down a lot. They had that great last quarter. It's certainly not cheap, but it's a premium multiple for sure. But I think it deserves it. I think what's kind of more interesting is, is this a bad thing or a good thing for the other streamers? 
You know, Mike Coe brought up on our call, well, maybe you're taking more wallet share away and there's left, left for the other streamers. Or maybe it's an umbrella. Prices are higher. Everyone else can move prices higher without being sort of penalized. Well, we have Mike Coe here. So, Mike Coe, what are your thoughts? <laughs> How lucky is that? Yeah, well... I mean, actually, you know, it's funny. I mean, Netflix is is not unreasonably priced when you you take a look at their EPS and, and free cash growth. I mean, I think we've always thought of this as a very expensive custom, uh, company. It isn't really now. I also think they have a very sticky customer base. I can certainly say that that's true in our house. And, and I'm not trying to encourage them to raise our subscriber fees, but there's a good chance that they will. And there's a good chance that we're going to pay it when they do. I do wonder, though, about things like Disney Plus and some of the others. Um, you know, we've got, I think ESPN also, some of the, they've recently increased prices for some of their subscriber services. And I always thought of them as being sticky, but they're seeing a lot of competition. You know, we used to think of ESPN as basically the must-see content in terms of sports, and they aren't really anymore with the addition of things like YouTube's uh, subscriber services. But Netflix, I think, has a pretty sticky position in households, and I think they probably are going to raise those fees, and I think people are probably going to accept it. I guess there are still some unknowns because this is gonna, this would theoretically happen after the actor strike ends, which would mean there was an agreement reached. So we don't know the details of that agreement, but their costs could actually go higher. I mean, if actors are going to demand a, a bigger share of the streaming revenues, then that's, mm -hmm. you know, forever. However long that that property exists on the Netflix platform, Netflix is paying out and that's that is more money. So the margins may not. Actually, I've got to think, though, those payments as a percentage of the margins of it's it still is still small. Just one other thing I wanted to add. There was a personnel change on the ad-supported part of the business, which a couple of weeks ago, one of the executives said, this is, happen this is a little more difficult than we thought. Yeah. It's happening slower than we thought. You're still in it. No, no, I'm, I'm hoping to buy it back lower. And, you know, there have been comments. Uh, J.P. Morgan had a, con a conference recently where they talked a little bit about margin expansion not being quite as aggressive. I, I, I like on some level, it would be surprising to see them raising prices at a time when they've been able to uh, effectively claw back all of these. They, I, what do they call them? Sharers or borrowers? Yeah. People that are borrowing. Cheats. You know, you at home. <laughs> My dad called me and I asked him if he was watching the quarterback to you know, talk about Patrick Mahomes because he's telling me how much he loves him. We love Patrick Mahomes as well. And he said, I don't have a Netflix anymore because uh, I was using your brother's uh, Oh, sharing. That's what they called it. Dad, are you serious? Sharing. All right. So they're going to come after my dad. Sorry about that. <laughs> a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Searching for safety? Well, two old standbys may not offer the comfort you're looking for. The Chartmaster is sending up a warning sign ahead. Plus, SoFi slump. Shares hitting south even as student loan payments start up again. So how are options traders positioning in the name? The details next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. SoFi plunging today, now down more than 17 percent in the last month. The loss is coming even as millions of Americans prepare for student loan payments to resume, something that should give a boost to the stock. Today's move catching the eye of options traders. So, Mike, what would you see? Yeah, so this one traded more than two times its average daily put volume. I should point out quickly that this is nothing new. There's more than two million open interest on the put side. The trades that we saw today were really rolls down and out. And that's where people who have already made bearish bets press those bets by going further out in time and to lower strikes. That included a roll of 15,000 of the October 8 puts down to the November 7, selling the 15,000 October 8 puts that they had previously bought and buying the November 7s, betting that it could fall below that strike by at least the premium that they are spending. And that's indicating that they believe that the stock has at least 13% additional downside over the course of the next six weeks or so. Wow. What, what does that tell us, Dan? Well, I mean, look at what's going on in the broader financial space. Look at what's going on, you know, after a big run up in the buy now, pay later. I mean, there's some concern about consumer credit here. And this is coming at a time where this is a demographic that they serve. are going to start paying back student loans. And I think that probably works well for them. I think that was some of the excitement just a couple months ago after they reported um, in guided. I'll just make one other point. It's like if they are going to be able to avoid, let's say, some of these credit pitfalls that some folks who are maybe buying these downside puts, you know, they're expected to go hit gap profitability next year for the first time you know, since they've been a publicly traded company. That could change the dynamic of the story a little bit. I, I just think we're in a world where a lot of business models just don't compute anymore. And, and it's going to get a lot worse. But so the cost of rates, the cost of financing for a lot of these consumer finance companies, leaving aside the credit dynamics, leaving aside the fact that a trillion and a half in student loans, you can't refine them, you can't take them down lower. There's a lot of things people want to do they won't be able to do. So we we had we kind of peaked with buy now, pay later and, and uh, you know the rocket mortgages of the world and all these places. And if you look at, again, the mortgage markets as well, I think the business models are challenged, but the cost of financing means these businesses don't really make money at these levels. Coming up, playing it safe, it might be harder than you think. The safety trades skating on thin ice and utilities and staples have been heading lower. So could these two sectors be in store for more pain? The chart master, Carter Worth, is updating his call on the beaten down space where he sees these trades heading next. Don't go anywhere. Fast money after this. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Today's sell-off pushing the Dow negative for the year. The index dropping more than 400 points as yields spiked to their highest level since 2007. The S&P falling 1.3 percent and the Nasdaq leading the losses, snapping a four-day winning streak down 1.8 percent. Some big drops in names across sectors, Home Depot, GM, Lululemon, Goldman Sachs, all sinking in today's sell-off. And if you're just tuning in, some breaking news in just the last hour, the U.S. House voting to remove Kevin McCarthy as speaker in an unprecedented move that only adds to the uncertainty overhanging the market. House Republicans planning to meet later tonight to chart out steps to replace McCarthy. No front runner seems to be emerging. And of course, there is the ticking uh, timeline of the shutdown. We only have so many days to go until we have to revisit that issue. And will we actually see a shutdown then, Tim? I don't know, but it, it, you know, the dynamic also around the the goals of I think some at least the more conservative GOPs in terms of fiscal cuts, and there's a, there's an agenda out there that uh, they were seeking to get, and I actually think this stalls it. I don't think it gets a more aggressive agenda in place. All right. Meantime, there's been no safety in the safety trade recently. Utilities and staples seeing heavy losses over the last month as interest rates climb and the consumer outlook remains murky. Our next guest called this next leg lower in the show just last week. 
The one and only chart master Carter Worth of Worth Charting is back to lay out where these sectors are headed next. Carter. What a mess. Um, so very <laughs> safe, sort of low beta areas of the market, uh, also taking on the chin. Uh, but utilities actually reversed today, interestingly. And so after being down as much as 6.5% just from Friday's close, you had um, every stock in the XLU up but two. And my hunch is that you have a bit of a capitulation low. Let's look at a few charts and figure it out together. So very long term first. And this is the irony. Uh, these are uh, not exciting businesses, of course. And yet, and you'll see here, if you were to go from the absolute peak of the dot-com era, March 24, 2000, of course, utilities have really lagged the market um, by a lot. Market up some 180 uh, percent and utilities up 70. But look at this next chart. This is the total return of the S&P 500 utility sector versus the total return of the S&P. Utilities are still ahead, even with this recent sell-off, 23 years later. It just shows dividends are an important part of the game. But let's go to the here and now and look at the utility chart. We collapsed out through the bottom um, of this formation. You can call it a descending triangle. It doesn't matter what you call it. It's a bad setup and it has broken. But we reversed intraday. And my think is we'll snap back here a bit. Only sector to actually end in the green. Uh, but staples, I don't think it's over quite yet. And so one way to draw the lines here, another and final chart, what we have is a reference point. Do we get down to uh, the 52-week lows? And I think we do. So short-term tradable bounce you see ahead for utilities, but staples more pain ahead. Are there any charts within staples, Carter, that look like any sort of refuge? Well, not particularly. Uh, one that's not well traded, Coca-Cola bottling, of all things, not Coca-Cola itself, that's under real pressure, uh, is down to a level where rebound potential is high. C-O-K-E symbol versus what we all know is K-O for Coke. All right. Carter, thanks. Carter Braxton Worth. That's staggering to think that utilities still have outperformed over the long term since the dot-com boom. Well, I, Imagine if that was our show. But for, <laughs> utility for 23 years. Fast but, but, it, it, yeah. but think about the world where there, there has been no alternative. So this is the world of Tina, and this is where, again, dividend yields have been very important. Um, but the underperformance of the utility sector over the last couple of days has been staggering. It's down 16% over the last 12 sessions, and also it underperformed the S&P by 450 bips yesterday, which I think is maybe, it's, it's, it's according to uh, a couple of folks that I was reading, the fourth worst showing it's ever had. Um, so as Carter said, I mean, it's, it's been pretty shocking what's going on here. Maybe you're getting a bounce, but I think the challenge is to the business model. Yeah, not only that, though. I mean, I think the reversal today, and it really did feel like capitulation, and, and that's what I would expect. You'll see maybe in TLT in the not-so-distant future, too. And it does set up for a tradable move. I mean, Carter mentioned that breakdown at 60 in the XLU. That's probably where you get the ricochet back to, but there's plenty of folks who probably think this higher for longer. They'll get back in and press that short up at those levels. Mike, you play utilities for a bounce? Well, I bought some calls in NextEra Energy, which is the largest constituent of XLU today, but I wouldn't buy this stock, and I'm not completely convinced. I mean, here's one of the problems, and that is that, you know, NextEra, as the largest constituent, has had negative free cash flow for, for many years. And, of course, as we were just discussing, utilities are a place where people looking for yield would go. So in a higher rate environment and a higher yield environment, they have two big challenges. The cost of capital is going up. They have negative free cash flow and a lot of debt. So that's not great. 
and investors have other places to go. That too is not great, although it is trading, you know, probably five turns cheaper than the market. And I did see that reversal. And that was the reason I bought those calls, but they didn't buy the stock. All right. Coming up, it's not just Eli Lilly customers slimming down of late. The stock has been shedding some weight, too. <laughs> What's behind the pharma flop? We'll bring you the skinny on that stuff. Oh, my. Oh, my. Into. Pharma flop. Welcome back to Fast Money. Eli Lilly in a lull lately. Shares falling again today, now down 12 of the last 15 days. The latest drop coming after the drug maker inked another buyout, this time of cancer therapy company Point Biopharma for $1.4 billion. This is the third deal of the year for Eli Lilly. As the company looks to bolster its pipeline, even amid strong demand for its diabetes and weight loss drugs, this specifically is in the radio pharmaceutical um, sector, which uses radio ligands to treat cancer in a very targeted fashion, Tim. So it puts it sort of in competition with the drug that's already out by Novartis. They have a very rich stock. Good time to do a deal. It's, it's a great time to do a deal with a currency that is, is trading at a premium and certainly based upon forward multiples and where we've discussed the addressable market at nauseum in their weight loss drugs and even in some of their Alzheimer's development. So it's an exciting time for the company. I, I know we're the, that was the copy that we read going into the commercial. You know, it's it, I would hardly call it a flop, right? I mean, I would just say this is a case where this is a company that had an extraordinary run. Chartists, I mean, Carter might look at this and see maybe a head and shoulders formation here. There's no question you've actually taken kind of the top off. And, and I do think you've got a case here where the competitive landscape, the news flow, at least in terms of some of the risks around these drugs and, and analysts at least catching their breath in terms of, you know, this is going to be the only game in town, I think is part of what's going on here. you got to wonder if there's a little bit of, of sort of toppy action going on when analysts are, are willing to say, you know, toast TOST, the process the payment processor for restaurants, that's going to see a decline in business because of these GLP Agnes, Agnes, also the snack food. Everybody. When you get yeah. to these ancillary trades, then it starts becoming, oh, you know. You cannot think yourself in markets all the time. And I, this feels like that. Well, you, we were talking about this before. I mean, throw Novo and Lilly into some of the sentiment trades that have worked really well this year. I mean, at one point, not too long ago, maybe a month ago, these had a combined market cap of a trillion dollars. I mean, think about the last time we were able to say that about a pharma, about a story in and around something like that. So to me, I think that they also just exhibit a lot of the, you know, irrational exuberance about stories in a market that's not great. I'm just going to keep saying there's a lot a lot of great things going on. This is one good story, and I think it's reflective in the valuations. They both have two big gaps that they are likely to fill out. Well, this is right at that gap. I mean, the next move down, it's taken the elevator down to 440. I'm not sure that it will right here and now, but that's the price action. And and the last 15 days, 12 of them have been down. Karen? Well, the bar bar is set very high, right? They have a little bit of time to fill because they're not there yet, right? They don't have their product out yet, but um, it's expensive for sure. I think, though, I bought some back higher than here, um, but I think it's not going to trade exactly what it's worth over time. It's going to—that's not going to be totally linear. I'm hanging on to it for the long term. And by the way, there are chapters to this weight yeah. loss story. Eli Lilly Monjaro for weight loss is going to get approval. They're going to have the sleep apnea study, which should the results should come out, I think, at the beginning of next year, Mike. So there are different catalyst potentially to this. It's not just weight loss drug and the story is out there and that's it. Well, it's going to need some catalysts at 15 times revenues <laughs> now when you could have bought it at 15 times earnings 10 years ago. Uh, you know, I don't see the sense in, in chasing this one here. I, I, I really don't. I'm, I'm guessing you're going to get a better opportunity, probably a much better opportunity. All right. Coming up. 
And the survey says Investopedia's Caleb Silver is here, and he's brought along the results from his latest investor poll. Stick around to find out what is on top of traders' minds. And ahead on Mad Money, Jim is chatting exclusively with the Oshkosh CEO. Catch the full interview at the top of the hour. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert here on Ford, the company making a new offer to the UAW. Phil LeBeau is on the fast line with the details. Phil. And Melissa, this offer was actually made Monday night, and this is the seventh offer that Ford has made to the UAW. Remember, the UAW had made an offer a previous Monday, so not this week, the week before. Ford is now answering that offer with this one. Some of the details they're not going into at this point, but they have said that they have increased their overall wage offer, it is north of 20%, exactly how much the company is not saying at this point, including a double-digit increase right off the bat for the UAW members. Also includes cost of living adjustment, uh, a reduction in the wage progression. It used to be from four, from eight steps down to four. Now they're saying it's greater than eight to four, it, whether it's eight to three or eight to two. But the number of wage progressions uh, has been reduced. Uh, no tiers for uh, new hires for the UAW. Uh, and from Ford's perspective, this is the kind of offer that it believes can move the needle. Now, does this get a deal done? Way too early to say. But certainly, Melissa, this is a step in the right direction uh, in terms of Ford and the UAW now having a new base of which they can start negotiations or continue negotiations, I should say. Uh, and again, this is the seventh offer from Ford and an increase in the wage uh, north of 20 percent. Not saying exactly how far north, but it is north of 20 percent. Melissa? But this significantly would close the gap, theoretically. I mean, if it's north of 20 percent, then you have double-digit cost of living adjustments. That brings you up to 30, and that's close to what the UAW is, or much closer at least, to the 40 percent UAW is asking for. Well, in theory, if, if you want to see the UAW calculating it that way, you, you are <laughs> correct. Um, the significance here is that Look, there was a real breakdown in terms of the communication between Ford and the UAW last week. And that was, it, it showed up clear on Friday in terms of the comments from UAW President Sean Fain. He had essentially said that uh, Jim Farley, CEO of Ford, was lying about the state of negotiations. Uh, Ford held a press briefing with Jim Farley and the top executive saying, you know, voicing their frustration at the way that the, the uh, talks have been handled by the UAW. So now you have a new offer from Ford. Now, is that wage offer and the cost of living adjustment and the other offers that are also in there, including right. taking temps up to $20, $21 an hour? I, I don't know the exact number there, mm-hmm. but, you know, starting previously, they were, were lower than that. All of that, you put that together, is that enough to get... Uh, the ball crossed the goal line. Hard to say at this point, but a right. step in the right direction. Phil, thanks. Phil Abou. Meantime, rough couple of months for stock markets may have investors a little on edge. According to the latest Investopedia investor survey, one in four say they are investing less due to recent market volatility. Editor-in-chief Caleb Silver is here with a first look here. Uh, Caleb, so why are they investing less? 
They're fearful. Nowhere to run to, nowhere to hide, as Martha and the Bandellas would say. But the bank, you heard Jim Bianco earlier, they're hanging out in the bank. They're hanging out in banking products. They just don't feel the catalyst. And they're as fearful as they've been all year. Yeah, and you can really see it in the extra $10,000 question, which I love. What would you do with an extra 10, 10K? Still CDs. Yeah. And why not? Because you can get 5, 5.5%. Five You're going to probably get 6% sometime soon out of the bank in some form or another. So that's what they're doing with their money. They don't want to put money into the market. But these are active stock investors looking for a reason to believe. They just don't see anything. They have a lot of things on their list of worries, too. Uh, yeah, and what tops it? I mean, it's a political landscape. Yeah, inflation still tops it because that's kind of the underlying thing. But the 2024 presidential election crept in there for the first time. And I'm curious about that. I don't think it's about who's going to get elected. I think it's the dysfunctional political process we have here in the United States. Rep. McCarthy being ousted today, just another example. The credit downgrades, that's new to the list. A recession, and then these persistently high interest rates. They've come to terms with it. What about the MAG-7? Do they still love them? They still love them. Those are their favorite stocks. And when we ask them every single uh, time we do this, every two months, what are your favorite stocks? What would you hold on to for a long time? It looks like the MAG-7, plus a few others. A lot of those stocks are being heavily shorted right now, too. So their favorites are also going to be under pressure if this plays out. This survey to a period did not capture the, this rise in interest rates. It captured the last Fed meeting and the last it hold, did, so yeah. we stopped it last week. It is as new as last Friday. Sure. The bad news has just been everywhere, and you feel it in the sentiment. What do you think the reaction will be to this rise in rates? More money into CDs? Absolutely. Back into the bank. The bank's a safe place to be. They have lollipops in there. And I think people are freaked out about that. When we look at their anxiety, it's not about the stock market as much as it is about their personal finances. They're worried about their wherewithal. Are they going to be able to withstand this? Are their households going to be able to make it through? Yeah. I do love those lollipops. It's really a good... Um, really, I, who doesn't I, love I, a good dum-dum? Like, yeah, well, let's, let's not go there. I mean, people might say that about us. Um, I, how about the next 10 years? Anybody change their view on that? And no. The outlook, you know, what might normally be an allocation, has that changed in the last three months? No, and I was surprised a little bit by this, but these are stock investors. So when we ask them, what's the best 10-year investment? Where do you think you're going to get the best returns? We've heard the Gallup polls, people talking about real estate. They are heavily into stocks. Stocks and then everything else is way down the list. They are looking for a reason to believe. They don't see one, though, in the near term, maybe the long term, maybe 10 years out, maybe a few years out. Right now, super scared. Caleb, thank you. As always, Caleb Silver, Investopedia. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Mike Coe. Uh, cheap to the market, cheap to its peers. Earnings pre-open on Thursday. Constellation Brands. Tim Seymour. Energy Supercycle. Total Energy breaks even at 42 bucks after the div. Stay there. Chairwoman. Yes. Happy birthday to my husband, Lawrence Gallup. Oh. And my final trade is TLT. Bye. Damn. Lawrence is the man. Happy birthday. <laughs> XLU. I like Carter's call that. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.